hey, Trevor and Ral here. Uh, this week, the movie that we watched was incredibly confusing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so just a disclaimer that the next hour is just going to be us trying to figure things out. If you've never seen Primer 2004, maybe go watch that movie and try to digest as much of it as you can and then come back because it's not even a spoiler situation like on other podcasts. It's just going to be like an uncomfortable listening experience if you haven't seen this movie. So go watch it. Listen to this. Go back and rewatch it again. Just alternate. And then tweet us your theories. Welcome to the Film Hole Podcast. I'm Trevor. And I'm Raul. I'm a filmmaker. And I'm an engineer. Yeah, appropriate for this movie. Every week we talk about movies. And then we watch them. (laughs) (laughs) That is actually true. It's technically true. We do talk about the movie before we watch it. But we also happen to speak about it afterwards. Right, right. And And this week... this week, (laughs) we watched... (laughs) What did we watch this week, Trevor? Primer. By Shane Carruth. Is that how you say Uh, it? uh Uh-huh. I think so. One of a few movies that he's done, and he also stars in this movie, notably a former engineer, as we'll get into, that plays a big role in this movie. Yeah, if you go to the Wikipedia page for the film, it's hilarious. It's like the little sidebar with all the info. Mm -hmm. It's just his name through and through. Director, editor, Yeah. uh, scored the music for the film. Really? Writing. That's cool. Yeah, everything. Mm. And others. And others. Hey, Trevor Mowry here again. uh, Setting up a Kartix hot take for this week. Here he is. All right, Kartik, you just saw Primer. What did you think of it? I think one is the goal of the movie is to make you feel dumb. That's definitely... Definitely. Yeah. Basically, there's no way it's possible to be able to capture all these nuances in first listen. Mm-hmm. Nobody can understand what's happening. There's like absolutely no way to piece it together. Yeah. yeah. And it's not like just watching that movie a handful of times. I have to watch the explanation clip more than once, I think. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> to even to fully remember all the details. Yeah, so I feel like the goal of the movie was to make you want to watch it more to figure out, as was mentioned in the clip. Mm-hmm. What would you give the movie as a rating? I would give it a... Uh, I'll give it a 7 out of 10. Nice, nice. I think ultimately you want to... I think, yeah, it, the movie starts with such shrouded and such secrecy. You know, you don't, you're trying to figure out what are they building uh, the whole time. You're like, what's this invention? When you uh, foreshadowed it, for some reason, I thought it would be like an alien thriller. Yeah. And so when, when the guy it's mentioned. so not that. When so the guy, that's just the, I, oh, I, primer, you know, that just sounds like an alien type of word. It does. So when they saw, when they were talking about the hands, I looked at the guy's hand, I'm like, wait, it's turning green, it's turning <laughs> into this, like, alien, like, type. that's why they can't write, that was my theory as to why they couldn't write properly, and I'm like, the aliens thing, knowing alien movies, right, I'm like, it probably just all has to come together at the end, it's like in the final scene where you realize. How long were you holding on to this whole alien theory, like, the whole movie? <laughs> um i think i dropped it at some point (laughs) but um 
I, it was pretty far into the movie that I, yeah. at first it started out engaging because you don't know what was around every corner. You, you're you're kind of cheering for them too, right? Mm-hmm. Man, that Kartik, what a guy. Has some opinions, huh? All right, back to the podcast. To get into it this week, you know, usually we do a synopsis for the movie. I feel like that's going to be a little difficult. So maybe we could start off with talking about how you and I, or specifically you, because I think you have a longer history with this movie, like how you came across it and like what made you, because I'm pretty sure you introduced me to this movie. So I want to know like where, so. where it came from for you. It, I don't have a great story. There was just like a period of time um, in college uh, for years where I would be very adventurous and seeking out crazy and unique movies. This was in the time that I was like torrenting a lot and i could have any movie that i wanted it didn't have to be on some uh streaming platform mm-hmm. to be available to me so this is F- something fbi that just... if, if you're listening raul still has all of these illegal copies of, of movies on his hard drive somewhere so mm-hmm. his address is it's interesting that i uh i downloaded all these through your network and on your router <laughs> and your name was on the internet bill oh. so did a little switcheroo on me there. Yeah, we're both going down, buddy. Yeah. But yeah, this is a movie that if you look up like greatest mind bender movies or like greatest sci-fi movies of like the last couple of decades, like this movie pops up pretty frequently. Mm-hmm. And it's notable for being like an incredibly low budget film. The exposure and, and the following that it has is like way disproportionate to the budget of that film. Mm-hmm. Went to Sundance, right? Yeah, yeah. So I think it got some notoriety there, which makes sense. It's actually funny that you bring up the budget because I remember watching this movie and it doesn't look terribly different from what we saw back then. And it definitely, I should say, it definitely looks low budget. Everything from the camera equipment they must have been using to this weird like grain that's put on it. Looks very early 2000s in its look, but also just kind of shitty on top of that. It's kind of like an optical illusion. Uh, do you know like optical illusions that like uh, you look at it one way and it's like an old woman smiling, but then if you yeah. squint the other way, it's like a dog and a rabbit? Sure, yeah. This this movie, like I look at it one way and like the graininess and low quality is a very endearing uh, property of it. And I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, wow, this is like really cool, low budget. Uh-huh. And, it, and then I look at it again in another angle and I'm like, man, this just looks like the shittiest camcorder right recording well it's funny is when you were talking about torrenting it earlier it's like back in like the torrent days when like everybody had movies all the time of varying like resolutions and qualities you just kind of got used to that shitty shittiness of things Mm -hmm. it's just like it's some random file from the internet but like this one actually looks like that (laughs) It, it looks like a a permanently illegally downloaded movie how about we just try to walk through it like in real time and just try to make sense of that movie like between you and I. I, and I, can... I can get behind that. So we're introduced to something that kind of has like um, what feels like kind of uh, like an origin of Apple story, like entrepreneurs in a house also doing some work in a garage surrounded by like a lot of computer equipment. Uh, looks like it takes place like when it was made, 2004. 
really, the, I'm explaining it kind of vaguely, but really there is no exposition to set any of this up. We immediately get launched into this imagery that I just described with a voiceover that's kind of giving some cryptic instructions and direction as to like what's happening or it, he's telling a story about someone, but it's not very clear as to what. So the movie isn't really holding your hand at all from the very beginning. And, so, and it's funny that I say that because the beginning of the movie is like the part that makes the most sense. <laughs> right, right. Like even this part, this is not the confusing part of the movie, mm-hmm. but even just who are these characters, what are they doing, and why are they doing it? Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, you're. it's left to you to piece all that together. Right. But what you do piece together is that these people are engineers, uh, working engineers, like post-graduation, maybe late 20s, early 30s. There's about four of them. They've been working on some kind of garage-style startup business venture, uh, and they're discussing things on like how to get the business up and running, how they're going to get venture capital investments, mm-hmm. all of that kind of uh, the stuff that you get from the startup world. So a lot of that imagery becomes pretty clear, but... It's obvious that they're working on something like there's kind of a group of them and they all seem to have kind of their individual projects among them. And currently it's like I was just watching the opening scene earlier. They were talking about like turns, like if it's my turn, like this is what we're doing. So it sounds like they have like multiple projects going on amongst them. And uh, it's now like Abe and uh, Aaron's. It's it's actually not their turn. They're actually making this box like in secret or something. Uh huh. And I say box. I haven't said like what it is because really at the beginning they don't even know what they're making. Which to me, beyond all of the confusing time travel stuff that we'll get into, that's the part that's the biggest question for me. Is like what are they attempting to make? Obviously, they stumble into like what the rest of the movie is about, but like before that what are they attempting to do well it seems to be some kind of device that can counteract gravity and essentially make things lighter how do you where's your evidence for that they do mention like the terms gravity every once in a while there's also the shots of them when they're first testing out the prototype where they're showing them um they place that little toy on a scale and as they turn the machine on that scale like the weight gets smaller like okay. almost as if they're kind of like levitating the toy. Can you give me a timestamp for that? Yeah, let me see if I can find it. There was another tidbit as I'm finding it from the very first initial conversation that's kind of interesting. Remember this person that later on in the movie that Aaron says that he wants to punch in the face? Platt, yeah. This Platt character who we never meet. But from that opening conversation with all four of them at the kitchen table, you gather that like Platt was part of their posse beforehand Uh and that they had developed some product that brought them some success and that Platt kind of backstabbed them in a business sense and he became successful, but all of them are still, you know, toiling away, Uh trying to get something off the ground. Unbelievably subtle. Like I've watched this movie five times Mm -hmm. and I only caught it this, this time around. Mm-hmm. But what is what does what purpose does that serve for the rest of the movie? That plat character. That's a good question. I don't <laughs> think they ever. So he brings up like punching him. That's it's the first time in the movie that any of the characters uh, expresses any interest in using time travel to in, in like a reckless way. He's like, I wish I could go back in time, uh, 
or I, this is what, I wish I could go punch this guy in the face, mm-hmm. then travel back in time and tell myself not to do it mm-hmm. just so that I could get that satisfaction. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the first time that they mentioned that. So but, as we're, we're talking about time travel, spoiler alert, that's what this movie is about. It's about time travel, but in the most roundabout, confusing, and also, from what I understand, realistic way of telling yeah let's get there let's let's get to the box a little more but let me find that time stamp of where they're kind of i need like an exact time for like this thing with the scale because i don't remember what you're talking about well the shot's coming up but they're they're talking about it now they're like measuring the weight of this toy this egg thing and then in a few seconds here they'll uh that scale will start going down what spot are you at i'm with you right now but it's within a minute i'm at 1150 7.7 7.4 is that a scale though it's a reader for a scale. Okay. And so what information is it giving in them right now? Like the weight of the Weeble? Yeah. And so the weight of the Weeble, is the Weeble the little toy? Yeah. I don't know what that word is. Yeah. I think that's the name of its little toy. It's just like a thing that stands up. It's like a little egg that like okay. does this thing. Oh, right. Yeah. It has, so they... It's like weighted on the bottom. So did you see the shot of them like it was like at 7.4 and then it went down to like 6.9? Right. But I never interpreted that as like a scale measuring the weight of anything. Uh-huh. But it that's that's pretty clear to you? Yeah, like yeah, cuz they say they they measure it in in, you know, grams. They're like okay. 740 milligrams and they're like, "Oh, put that to decagrams and" Hmm. Yeah, so it's pretty clear it's a weight interesting and so that's what they're doing i mean they're they're like a startup and they're just basically doing like exploratory research to try to come up with something that does something i mean that's why they have so many ideas that they keep trying right they don't have one great idea i guess like i have trouble like the reason it's so confusing to me is i have trouble relating to that mentality of like we're just gonna try things like we're just gonna try a bunch of different things and hope that one of them makes money I, yeah. I, I don't know. It just seems like a weird, a weird approach to life. <laughs> like, That's how it works. You ever heard of the word, the term pivoting in like in the context of like startups and venture capital? I mean, just in the sense of like, we're completely changing our business plan because like a different application for the product we were coming, coming up with has revealed itself. Or because the, you know, the channel that you were going through the business plan, a uh, mm-hmm. is all of a sudden not viable. Like, think back to Silicon Valley. I'm familiar with, like, pivoting and, like, that whole process. Just, like, the idea of, like, we're going to try really hard to be entrepreneurs. Like, we can make literally anything. And maybe it's, like, these guys are trying to make something with an engineering leaning because they all realize that they're engineers and they have the ability to do something like that and they're properly mm-hmm. motivated. But by itself... It's just like we're just gonna make something to make money. It's just this really like vague motivation that I don't quite understand. Yeah, I'm around a lot of people like that. That like th- you would think that you would have to have the application and like the technology already kind of thought of beforehand before you start a company. But yeah, in a lot of ways, you just kind of have to like dive in and and just go for it and just see what happens. I guess it's like there has to be a certain amount of like self-confidence to where like I have some set of abilities to like get me across the finish line of something. Yeah. Like I would never do it because like mm-hmm. I have no confidence that I would be able to produce something valuable to a market. Uh-huh. 
And so to me, that's just like uh, the whole startup world is a incredibly high risk yeah. proposition. Yeah. And definitely like with different people, because I actually have experience with other like startup people before, depending on who they are, it's literally just about like making money or like making a business so the business can get sold and then you get a bunch of money for it. Mm -hmm. Like a lot of like soulless effort is put into stuff like this sometimes in my experience. There are people who have like legitimate ideas and like really care about whatever it is they're making and like want to see it through. But there's other people who just like want to make something that sells. These people strike me as kind of on that end of the spectrum. Uh huh. It, it, like their only interest, their entire mindset is just about going to market and being able to get funding. And they basically just want to be successful is their main driving force. Right. And maybe the reason I <laughs> am st still struggling with that idea as a plot device, we're spending a lot of fucking time on this like startup part. <laughs> it's not about the movie. <laughs> but the reason I still have trouble with it, I think is, I don't know. I just ethically, I just don't think I could do that. Like, I don't think I could just, like, put all of my effort behind something strictly to, like, make money. Like, I would just want to be doing something that I loved or thought would make things better, make the world a better place. Mm-hmm. So, fuck these guys. Fuck these guys. <laughs> okay, but, so where were we on that? So so that properly motivates, like, who they are, <laughs> what they were doing. Uh -huh. These guys are, are, are uh, startup people, and they're all fairly intelligent. You can tell they're all educated and are working engineers. Mm-hmm. The, pur the purpose of the box is vague. <laughs> and they actually discover some unexpected properties that this box has. It has the ability to cr create this algae very quickly in a short amount of time. So they're just putting stuff in this box. Not exactly sure what it's doing. Raul's theory is that it's trying to reduce the weight of something. And they test it by putting this little toy in there. And a discovery is made that this toy comes out of that box after, you know, how much time? Like a few hours? A few days, maybe. A few days, maybe. And this algae has developed on it. And at that point, Abe, one of the two entrepreneurs, takes this to uh, a lab to figure out what this algae actually is. And it turns out that this, that this algae takes a long time to naturally, what's the word? Mature? Yeah, just to like... Grow? Yeah, and secrete this, this film that they were finding on the thing. Right. And so they have to verify that with a lab. There's an artificial way to do it, but the natural way would take like the over the course of like a month or something or five uh -huh. or Long five time. five months. And so they don't immediately dump jump to time travel from that, but they obviously have figured out that something weird is going on with this machine, but eventually that does lead them to realize that this is a time looping box of some kind that they don't quite mm. understand. And I love the way that the scene is like laid out in the movie. It's not quite the way that you're describing it. You're describing it in a very like linear way, mm -hmm. like going through the process of the discovery. But in the movie, Abe goes through this entire process by himself and we don't see any of it. Right. He finds out this film. He investigates why is this film like showing up on this Weeble. He goes to talk mm -hmm. to all the people in the labs and finds out that it's a fungus that is everywhere and that will secrete mm -hmm. film given like several months. He then goes back to the box and tests it out by putting a watch in it, both mechanical and digital. We never see that watch gag though. We never see the watch gag, no. 
I think there might have been cuts to it, but very briefly. Maybe. Uh, But the point, the reason that that's noteworthy, I think, is because the time, like putting a watch in there would be a very clear indicator that they're dealing with time travel. And on your first viewing, I don't think the time travel part of it is still very obvious. Even like well into the time travel part, if you just don't understand what you're getting yourself into, if you're strictly taking the movie at face value, what is actually happening like on screen can still be kind of hard to figure out and hard to correlate with time travel as as we traditionally understand it. Right. But had you shown a very deliberate shot of like, here's a watch going into this box and then it comes out like at a much more advanced time than when you put it in and minus the time that has elapsed. Like that would be a very clear indicator that we're dealing with time travel here. But the movie right. does not does not hold our hand at all and like does not even show us something like that. It's referenced in dialogue, but never shown any like clear evidence of time travel. Which is worth bringing up because this is something that is done over and over again in the movie where uh, major plot points or plot devices are not directly shown to us the mm. viewer right yeah it's like uh the results or aftermath of a lot of what is off screen is what we're shown in this movie mm-hmm. which is a really interesting approach of film uh to make a film which i've never really thought about until we just started talking about this but it's like usually if you're making a movie like you want to show like the big moments that like drive the story forward yeah but this movie doesn't do that at all Mm -hmm. it shows us like literally everything else that would normally be cut in a different movie and and the dialogue is very natural too so like even when you're hearing about these things secondhand Mm -hmm. from dialogue the characters are having it's not very even then it's not very well laid out and articulated in a way that you understand like imagine that you're mm-hmm. hearing a conversation between two other people out of context. Yes. Obviously those two people talk, having a, a personal conversation are not going to, you know, declare the subject of their discussion before every sentence. Like the dialogue is not going to be like not right. nice and clean. Like a script is right. It's going to sound like a conversation taken out of context. And that's what right. we're presented with. In movies, when you hear that in senses, like dialogue that moves the plot forward, that's called exposition, but there's really none of that here. It's basically just observational when you're dropped into the middle of the story, which this is actually a good approach with a lot of movies, but even like those movies, like I'm thinking of like Uncut Gems, where that movie doesn't really provide you a lot of uh, context and exposition getting into it. Uh So it benefits from a second viewing. But at least even that movie, you know, has rising action, falling action, climax, conclusion, you know, the basic elements of a story. And some of that is in primer, you could argue, but does not follow a traditional storytelling structure. No, which I just I just love. I mean, that's Mm -hmm. flat out one of the reasons I like it. It's very it feels very real for that reason, like because movies don't feel like real life for a reason they're too, they're like too interesting right in this movie this movie is i think it was like uh, alfred hitchcock that said something about like movies or like life with all the boring parts cut out or something like that oh that's nice that's what it is yeah it's something stupid though that i hear like film professors quote all the time so i'm sick mm-hmm. of it 
<laughs> but uh, this movie is the reverse of that. It's all the interesting parts cut out with all the boring parts being shown on screen. Right. I want to make another comment like on the subject of the, the movie's dialogue and this concept of exposition that you said, which is like, mm-hmm. I never actually knew the definition of that. That's dialogue that's meant to drive storyline. It doesn't have to be exactly dialogue, but yeah, it's like something that like drives the, the plot forward. Like the biggest example of that I can think of is like when a movie opens and then the characters have like in, in like an ungodly unnatural conversation where they're like it's like oh you just haven't been the same since your husband died last march in that hiking yeah. accident in the alps and then you had to support your family <laughs> by yourself for four days yeah exactly that kind That's of thing exposition exposition all right let's keep this train moving so by this point yeah i love i love the device of like the moss on the on the weeble that they use because they mm-hmm. could have very easily just shown us like the watch experiment. It's when they're in the garage, and this is at the end of going through all of the, going to all the labs and talking to all the technicians again. They actually recreate uh-huh. the watch experiment, and very briefly, they're having like a, a very heavy technical conversation throughout this scene. Mm-hmm. But they do show a couple of shots of like the watch and like the timestamp. I guess is supposed to be significant or proof of the time travel theory. Mm-hmm. But it's all very dense and just... Yeah. There's a part, um, I think it was before this, where Aaron is demonstrating to Abe. We should say Abe and Aaron are the two main characters. Abe is the blonde, Aaron is the brunette. But there's a part uh, pretty early on where it's after they discover that the machine is, quote, stable. But even, like, I I don't even understand what that means. Like, it, it's good, obviously, in that it's not an unstable thing, but in the context of what the machine is, I have no idea what it means. Yeah, I don't get it either. And to that end, there's parts of these sequences that just feel, like, made up, or, like, the dialogue is, like, almost improvisational. There's this part where he has a switch. I can't find it right now. But he's like, you turn it on, you crank it all the way up, and, you know, it's like a feedback loop. It just keeps growing. And then, like, once it gets there then you crank it back. And it's like everything I just said was just gibberish. But that's like exactly how they say it in the movie. And it, just, it it doesn't sound like it's referring to anything real. It's just like say something that sounds like really like really engineery. That's interesting. I I actually think that it sounds it comes off as realistic. I'm not saying I'm not saying it's not like realistic in how it sounds, but uh-huh. I don't really know how to describe it. It's just like all of the words seem very like imprecise in describing like what they're talking about. Uh-huh. And so it, it seems like intentionally like it could be referring to anything, you know, like if among two people who understood what they were working on, like it would maybe make sense. But to a viewer, you're just like, this could mean like an infinite number of things, what they're talking about. Like you bring yeah. it all, the, you bring it all the way up. And then once it gets there, there's a feedback loop and then you bring it back down. It's just like that's as like tech as complex or as um, specific as their verbiage to refer to what's going on gets. Uh huh. It's very much unlike typical uh, movie science dialogue mm-hmm. in a way that I think is actually like very true to life. Talk about your uh, true to life experience of science and how that relates to what you see in this movie. I mean, like just think about like they've been working on this box for like weeks or months. And in that time, they've been, you know, really 
hitting the technicals hard and the science and mm-hmm. in that time that they've they've developed like kind of a shared language about this machine and all the parts that go into it mm-hmm. by this point when they talk to each other it's essentially talking in shorthand mm-hmm. in a way and in a way that they both understand each other but the language itself is like pretty bare mm-hmm. like maybe like uh alternatively the dialogue could have been uh, decorated with a lot more descriptive and scientific terms. Mm-hmm. Like instead of saying, uh, what was the line you said? Like, oh, then the signal goes up parabolically and then we shut it off and then it's stable. Circles back around, there's a feedback loop and then you crank it back down. Like he could have said all of that in a much more verbose way that like threw around a lot more science term. Like, oh, like the signal from the actuator um, goes up, but then the feedback loop and then goes into a self sustaining feedback loop at that point you need to take the actuator down um and that that steady states and then we're good to go but they have this shared language about this device that they're talking about so they're able to Uh talk to each other very quickly in a way that they understand Uh uh-huh which is just like a a method of writing dialogue i suppose which is really uncommon Mm -hmm. but anyway just it's all to say that the dialogue on the science sounds to me like it could be real it sounds to mm-hmm. me like they're talking about something that I don't understand, but that is yeah. real, and I know they mm-hmm. understand it. Right. Unlike, yeah. like, you know, Marvel movies, science, where they're just like, oh, we got, like, the quantum tunneling shield up through the flux capacitor, and I'm like, none of the words you're saying... <laughs> mean anything. <laughs> none of them mean anything in the context yeah. of the sentence that you just said. <laughs> yep. So anyways... All this is leading up to they discover time travel. And then what they decide to do with this like new power gets really interesting. And we should say that it's not time travel in any traditional sense. I'd say it's like the most unique like interpretation of time travel that I've ever seen. Um yeah. in probably like you know, you're more of a scientist than me, but according to you, like this is the most believable version of time travel and it has to do with um so to paint the scene here a little bit they learn this box has some sort of like time traveling ability and they think that it can fast forward through time or something that's kind of what your impression is at the beginning and then they decide to build a bigger box and they describe it as to making a bigger one that a person can fit into so they can assumingly test it on themselves and so they do that, and then that's when it becomes even less clear as to, like, what's going on in this movie. But after further research, you learn that uh, this box has the ability to sort of split a person's time into two lanes temporarily and then loops back around and then merges once again and moves forward. Yeah, I think probably the best way to describe it, how this thing works, is to, like, take the perspective of put yourself in the in the mindset of the person going into the time travel box Mm -hmm. so so the way the box works is that you turn it on at time a and then you leave for six hours and do whatever you want doesn't matter you just turn it on and leave Uh and then after six hours you go back and get into the box Mm -hmm. and wait six hours Mm mm-hmm after those six hours, you come out of the box and you've traveled like back in time to when you started the box in the first place. Is it symmetrical? Because I mean, you 
you leave for six hours and then you come back and wait for six hours. And so the, you therefore like you traveled backwards the same amount of time that elapsed while you were waiting. Yes. Right. Yeah. So it's like this almost like reverse, like reverse button on time starting at that moment. Right. But you can only go back to the time when you turn the machine on. So if that was, if you got back in the machine six hours after you turn it on, you could only appear six hours before that moment. There's a lot of constraints to how the time travel work, which I think help make this like a very believable type of time travel. Mm -hmm. Obviously, you can't time travel to any time when the box wasn't, you know, invented or turned on. So you can't go back to you know, medieval times. Right. There's no future time travel direction that you can go into. Mm -hmm. You can only time travel if you've consciously turned the box on and then went into it and came out again. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The way that works <laughs> is so interesting. It's, it's so much more imaginative than any other yeah. type of time travel I've seen. Yeah. It gets so confusing here in a way that like we're going to attempt to describe on a non-visual medium so i apologize in advance but <laughs> the yeah. idea the idea is that you get in this box like raul said you turn it on you leave you come back you get in the box and the idea is that you wake up at the moment you originally turned it on so if you can imagine you turn on this box and then you leave you go have a sandwich the moment that you leave the room, like the new version of you is waking up in that box because he has just like time traveled back to that moment. Yeah. Like at the very moment you turn it on, like this is how I understand it anyways. Somebody's that, that, there. Somebody has appeared in that room that is you who's time traveled back to that spot. So something's kind of weird. Stacey pointed this out to me earlier, but you, you turn the box on at 9 a.m. let's say and you go in it at um, 3 p.m. six hours later uh -huh. at noon that day in the middle of this whole experiment mm -hmm. how many versions of you are there in existence at the same time you're saying like at the tail end of the waiting period in the middle of the whole thing in the middle of you getting in and out uh two what about the version that's inside of the box He's already there. Oh, wait a second. I, I think I see what you're saying. There's a version of you that goes to the hotel and does not interact with anybody. There's the mm -hmm. version of you that comes back in time and is doing all the trading, you know, with right. the future knowledge. Uh -huh. And then there's a version of you that is currently traveling back in time. Because he has to wait six hours. Right. I think, I think that the... Here's my answer to that. I think that the six hours that you have to wait in order to wake up in the past is strictly relative to you. Like, I think that when you're asking like how many versions are there at noon, I think there's only ever two. Like uh -huh. that's that six hours like is obviously like time in reverse. So it's, it's only, it's a weird six hours. It's, yeah. it's only experienced by that person in the box and no one else. Yeah. Everything else is instantaneous to the outside world. It begs a question, like, what would happen if you opened the box while, like, somebody's currently traveling back in time in it? 
and they definitely like don't go there like right away they're like that's obviously like they don't even want to be anywhere near the box when their double pops out of it right so they respect like the idea like the, the the huge singularity that would occur if you were to like blow up the box when somebody's in it like they don't even touch it uh-huh it's like the timing of that is a little is still a little confusing to me because like what i just mentioned the the idea is that you turn on the box at any given time and that means that that's when you pop back out of the box like when you hop back in later on so that would mean that like the moment that that box comes on there's another version of you like right there it's like how much time do you realistically have to get out of the room before your double shows right back up you know oh, well, they, well they thought about this remember they they set a timer on it oh okay i guess i missed this yeah 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 he's like Got it. well i don't want to be anywhere near this thing when my double comes out so i put a okay. 15 minute timer oh okay i guess i just glossed over that that answers my question yeah so if you're thoroughly confused at this part that's all right the movie will be even more confusing if you think this is confusing which is part of the fun yeah i have something in my notes that i it was a very helpful um thought experiment for me that also came about from that video that you sent um i kind of relate the kind of time travel they're doing to like saves in video games yeah so it's like the way the box works is you turn it on and that's basically the time that you chose to save your game so if you in like a video game when you go and you go on an adventure and you die you respawn at that moment that you saved this doesn't require that you die um and you don't really reset but in in terms of like holding your place in time the box is very like uh, similar in function to like a game save it is very similar like do, do you do this when you play video games like uh fallout let's say and you wanna you do a quick save mm-hmm. and then you just go postal like on everybody like in your settlement right like exactly. you kill your own people just for and, fun right you're like okay let's go back and that's like how these guys actually use this time travel machine in this movie. They sort of set it up right before they're about to do something risky as a backup. And in this case, like they're doing it very consistently and they have a whole system worked out to where during the day they do stock trading. So they'll go isolate themselves. They'll figure out all of the trades for that day and then they will go back in time to the beginning of that day and then use all that information to make money on the stock market. So similar behaviors to how you would use it in a video game. (laughs) (laughs) And later on they use it to like confront some guy at a party. So like how you like any person would use time travel if they had it access to it like this. But it's worth saying that we know all of this. We know that they, you know, are doing the cyclical thing where they're using it to trade on the stock market and then later on they use it to confront a guy at the party. We only know this from, like, research afterwards. Like, none of this in the movie alone is very clear. Yeah, yeah. It, it makes me wonder, like, how the people who, like, put a lot of this plot stuff together online, like, did it in, how they did it in the first place. Is it just, like, back-to-back, like, consistent wa- uh, viewings of this movie? Yeah, for sure. And just, like, comparing theories with other people. Yeah. Like, even the best theories I saw, the people had worked it out to the point where they're, like, 
the movie does not give us sufficient evidence for like this part of my theory cannot uh-huh. be proven or disproven just because uh-huh. of how ambiguous the movie is mm-hmm. but i think this is most likely the course of events that happened yeah the movie itself is like its own little math problem yeah or like own little like ecosystem of like scientific rules like you have to prove and disprove things and it is only based on the what you see on screen which is not a lot yeah the observable movie the observable movie which is interesting that the movie we're watching is actually made up of more than one sets of timelines yeah (laughs) like if you go back and change the past you've branched like history and you've created a new timeline essentially Uh uh-huh which is something they try to avoid doing early on, which is why they'll go isolate themselves in a in the hotel to not interact with the world at all, but something that I guess they failed to do later on. But it'll mm-hmm. essentially it'll create all these different timelines that exist. Mm-hmm. I like I think that none of the movie that we see is on the original timeline, except for the parts before they invent the time machine. Yeah, I would agree with that because I think that first half or whatever reads very much like a normal a normal movie. Uh-huh. You know, you don't really understand what's going on, but it's like as follow followable. <laughs> it's easy enough to follow along with as any other movie. Right. Even if you don't right. really understand what's happening. But the rest of the movie is basically like visual gibberish on your on your first viewing. Yeah. Seemingly like unrelated scenes with dialogue that doesn't connect you to anything unless you have like a back and forth understanding of like every possible outcome of this movie. How long is this movie? Hour 17. Hour 17. Uh, Pretty short. Yeah. Very short. And you don't find out about the like time travel until like a good, I would say 30 minutes in is like when we, when we see the time travel, like for sure happening for the first time. Mm -hmm. And then I think up until the part, like through the part where they're explaining about how they're doing like the insider stock trading, I'm like, okay, I kind of understand what's going on. Um, That's about like another 15, 20 minutes. And then the rest of the movie, the last 30 minutes are just like completely ununderstandable. You cannot understand the events that are unfolding. Right. Which is like a hard thing to like describe unless you like see the movie. Like it's not like, like, it's just showing you nonsense on screen. Like, you can see that these are the same characters and conflict is arising and thing, thing, things are happening. Like, the plot is advancing somehow, but you don't really understand what any of it means or how it connects to itself. Mm-hmm. It's almost like uh, you're seeing, like, incomplete parts of a different movie. Yeah. Like, you're seeing, like, scenes that aren't properly cut together or, like, that there's a lot of story that's missing but you can tell it's part of the same story and it's not because it's just like a film that is uh, designed to be abstract the the movie is confusing because of like reasons that are internal to the structure of the movie itself like the reason that we're so confused um i'm thinking specifically about the part where they think that that uh that dad guy is like following them remember that mr granger yeah, yeah mr granger who is abe's father-in-law or like the father of his girlfriend father of the girlfriend yeah Yeah. who is not it's not really important to know who he is he's a potential investor that they're targeting Uh uh-huh but that's not too important but like around 50 minutes into the movie or so 
there's a scene where they find Mr. Granger, who is a time-traveling version of himself, which they verify by calling him on his cell phone and talking to him. Right. While he's also, like, behind them, following them. Right. So it's clear that the one behind them is some alternate version. Uh-huh. We should say they're only confident that they're that that is another version of that guy because they fully established that they can time travel and that there are other versions of themselves. Right. But at this point, it's only been those two that have been time traveling. But when this time traveling Granger comes into the picture, they all of a sudden need to like be, they're all of a sudden confronted with the fact that the timeline that they are living in right now Mm -hmm. is a modified timeline. Right. Which is pretty trippy, right? Uh huh. To know that you are living in a not normal timeline, uh huh, and that you're not the one that caused it. Like usually, when there's protagonists in time travel movies, and there right. is, like Back to the Future kind of thing. Like Marty right. McFly is the one that is right. You were always at the origin of the time travel as a viewer. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Which is like why Marty McFly, when he ends up in that dystopian 1980s or whatever. Yeah, mm-hmm. dystopian 1980s. He's able to recognize this as wrong. This is not the way things should be. Mm-hmm. Actually, I have a counterexample to what I just said. In Dragon Ball Z, uh, that's how Trunks shows up. Trunks just shows up from the future. And I guess that's how Terminator works also. Where it's like, you never see the time travel, ah. but, but they are just there all of a sudden. And that is also a case of where like the original timeline mm-hmm. is the dystopian one. Right. Mm-hmm. That's interesting, yeah. So that's not uncommon, I guess, but how this movie uses it how it, and how it uses everything else is uncommon. But just to contrast it with like the Dragon Ball Z example, these people are finding out after the fact that their timeline has been changed. Right. As, as opposed to Dragon Ball Z where Trunk shows up and says, I'm going to help you change the timeline. Uh-huh. And then they're all party to it. They've all been told what's going to happen and they all together work to avoid that future. Mm-hmm. And this one, I feel like it's a little bit more, like, existential, the way that it's presented. Yeah, it's existential partially just because it's confusing. Like, they, yeah. don't, they don't know why he's there. Like, there's no motive given as to what he's doing in that car, how he was able, like, how he got access to the time travel in the first place. Uh, because I believe shortly after they find him, he becomes, like, vegetative, yeah. right? And I don't. I'm not really clear if like that was a result of the time travel itself or if that something else happened that they just didn't show. It's not clear. But it's it seems to indicate that he is incapable of giving them an explanation as to like why he's there. He's basically brain dead like when they discover him. And so they're left trying to like they have a discussion about like what could it possibly be. Right. What did he change? Mm hmm. And like why and why that guy of like like why not just another version of themselves? Yeah, this is a good example of like a scene that's left out and we're left to only guess at what could happen. Like Mm -hmm. I could imagine that this whole saga that culminates in the the father Granger guy being sent back in time for some reason as being like a whole act in the movie itself. Like that could have Mm -hmm. been like a whole 20, 30 minutes. Right. But all of that is erased away. All we see is Granger coming back in time, and mm-hmm. he's not even conscious to tell us what happened. Mm-hmm. So that's uh, that's Primer. Nah, there's so more. that's 
I, I and then the rest of it is just like there's stuff about like the party and the shotgun and the mm-hmm. characters going back in time to that fail safe box to try to change the entire course of history and then the fail safe box like another helpful way to understand that i think is like game saves so like any person who's ever played any kind of video game that allows you to save in a complex way you can save at multiple times you can save in stages to where like you can save before you like run into a temple and kill a bunch of bad guys or you can save three hours before that if you make a mistake between point A and point B. So you can save as many times as you want prior to doing something stupid as far back as you want. And so that's what these fail-safe boxes are. They are boxes, extra boxes, that they have built and turned on at different times throughout their history so they can reset back to that moment in time if they fuck anything yeah. up afterwards. Importantly, the main fail-safe boxes were turned on um before abe decided to tell aaron about the time machine boxes mm-hmm. so in abe's mind that was the box that he would go back to and change the entire course of the events in the movie mm-hmm. and undo them but then we find out that aaron also found the box and also went back in time and then maybe he recorded the entire conversations of the week to give one version of Aaron, a, a little piece, earpiece, so that he can right. repeat mm-hmm. everything he's supposed to say. Mm-hmm. Uh, when, when all this is said and done, there is no less than five different versions of Aaron and Abe in existence by the end of the movie. Right. I believe that video that we watched, we should, we should clarify that at no given point, there is more than three versions of a dude that exist in the same timeline. But what the movie isn't very clear on, but that like thing that we did some research on, that video, um, helps to explain, is that every time a dude wakes up in the box, this is actually something I want to talk about in greater detail, every time you get in the box and you wake up at the time that you turn it on, you reset to your game save time, uh-huh. that the version of you that is currently at the hotel his ultimate destiny is to get in that box at the end of the day right so he can right. be- he can become you but functionally he actually ceases to exist in that timeline after he gets in that box he actually becomes the the main you interestingly mm-hmm. enough so so think about like uh think of all the individuals here it's it's useful to think about them in terms of like their internal consciousness like what do you want to call it like the movie being played inside of these characters heads this a soul uh just like the the, the fact that like this this concept of of you are you through every moment that you live through and there's no discontinuity so if you do the time loop correctly there is no person that ceases to be it's just the person whose destiny it is to get back into the box uh-huh. becomes like the you uh-huh. at the end. You know, there's this brief moment in the movie that's really interesting where they talk about the dreams that they have uh, when they're inside the box. You remember this? Uh-huh. Where Maybe. They said that like when they're in the box, you know, they try to sleep or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, and, I remember this. And the, they, uh, they both have the same dream where they're on a beach and it's just like uh like at nighttime they're like on a beach at nighttime and the tide is just like 
coming in further and further. I don't remember exactly how they how they phrase it. Yeah, I remember that. They said the tide wouldn't stop coming in. And in my mind, I interpreted that as like, if you accept the theory that there are two versions of you at one point, and this is how the video explained it, actually, that the new you that emerges from the box is the one that continues in that timeline. So it's functionally a different version of you. And the previous version of you actually dies or ceases to exist in that timeline. That whatever that whatever that dream is, you could argue is like their consciousness dying (laughs) or like, or leaving like uh, that plane of existence Mm -hmm. where it's like, you would still have that memory obviously because you know, it's, it's the cyclical thing where like you are the one that got out of the box, technically speaking, but like maybe whatever you're seeing during that period is you actually like transitioning to some other universe or timeline okay. or, cease, so or ceasing you, to exist. What do you think about the idea that like, do you think they could time travel and stay awake for the entirety of like the six hours? Would that like kind of throw a wrench in that thinking? Cause like my, my explanation and the way I think about it is that they uh, imagine that they stay awake the entirety of that time mm-hmm. that they never go to sleep during any of that time. Like my, my, uh, claim here is that there would never be a moment where anybody kind of the lights turn off i think that that's possible they seem to like say that they need to sleep or have something in place in order to make that work but i don't think that that throws a wrench in my theory because the person who went to sleep in the box obviously still wakes up every time and still believes that they are that version of themselves uh-huh. and so i think maybe the trick is that I don't I don't really know how to describe it. Like one guy has to like exit that plane of existence at some point. To maybe simplify it back to something that's easier to understand, I think that um one thing that the movie does do that you see in other time travel movies is the version of Aaron that decides to go back in time actually confronts the real version of himself to uh do a few things. The first time is actually to kidnap or uh, imprison like the first version of him. At least this is the theory that I've accepted by doing some more research. Uh-huh. And that like there's an early scene in the movie where um, we're still getting started on the whole what are they working on is a time travel startup thing. And his wife is complaining about sounds in the attic. And upon multiple viewings, some more research and watching that scene over and over again, you come to learn that that's actually like the sound of himself that he had, he is actually a future version of himself that has come back and like stored that guy, like the original version of himself in the, in the attic. And that's what she's hearing. Yeah. Which is one of like the big plot twists at the end of the movie. Yeah. And so my point is that like that, is a common thing. I mean, time travel movies are like double cross movies where it's like, oh, it was like him the whole time. Yeah, like he was the future yeah. version like the whole time. You know, <laughs> it's kind of like that Rick and Morty episode where it's uh, like there's evil Morty. Like you just think he's normal Morty like through the whole the whole episode. Yeah. Or it's like that Futurama episode where. <laughs> yeah. Insert Futurama quote insert futurama oh dude i got it i got it i got it it's the bender and flexo 
Ah, yeah, yeah. I got it. Got there's got the it. Futurama example. So so we've talked a lot about the aspects of the movie, but sort of like the main driving points of the plot of the end, mm-hmm. we can try to get into. Like they're really obscure, right? Like mm-hmm. we know that it has something to do with this party, and we know that they have to go back in time, and that they're mm-hmm. now they're fighting. They're now they're mad at each other for some reason. That's not clear. <laughs> yeah. I don't, you know, I alluded to the whole, like, Aaron comes back to, like, kidnap himself, right? I talked about that a second ago. But his motives for doing that are still a little unclear to me. I I don't understand, like, why he wishes ill will on his original version of himself. Well, that's not the goal. The goal is not to kidnap his earlier self. It's a Uh means to an end. He has to get him out of the way so that he can take his place and be be the version of himself that he locked away oh i see so it's like the reason that that happens is because future version of aaron wakes up in a timeline where he is unaware of the time travel and so there, like his like the version of him that's currently there in that uh that timeline he wakes up and so that version of aaron is actually not doing the proper like cycle process to like reset everything back to his original timeline right so he's like kind of stuck he's stuck there being like a a version of himself that can't be helped by the current version of himself do you know what i'm saying i think so so it's like the way that healthy time travel works right is that like your original self and your double like have to abide by the rules to like turn on the box and get back in the box like at the appropriate times so Mm -hmm. like you so you both don't exist in the same timeline and you can go about your lives right right? but but if the version of you that is supposed to get in the box doesn't know you exist then he won't ever do that and so you you are just both stuck in that timeline which is how you get the duplicates Uh, that's how they occur is essentially when you don't essentially it means that the version of you that goes back in time does something to mess up the timeline or you know didn't take steps to preserve it mm-hmm. which is essentially the failsafe plan of Abe, right right is to go back stop this whole thing from happening whereby at that point there'll be a time traveling abe and a unaware abe who've never dabbled in time traveling at all Mm-hmm. essentially like sacrificing his life at that point right mm-hmm. the whole plan of using the fail safe machine is one that involves giving up your life because you can't coexist with your other self right unless you want to go the course of killing that guy right really quick just i want to give a quick shout out to like anyone who's like listening to this and is completely lost which is very understandable something that is very helpful for us was this uh video that we saw on youtube which uh, we should make a disclaimer that the video that I'm talking about probably takes some liberties and has theories of its own and it's all kind of hearsay. Like, you can't fully rely on it, but it's very helpful to try and make sense of the movie. And it's called Primer, parentheses, 2004, illustrated, explained on YouTube by the YouTuber London City Girl. So... And I think we can link to that when we post. Where did I leave it? Oh, like using the fail-safe box as you sacrificing your life. Yeah, yeah basically sacrificing life as you know it the reason so that's why abe had this box set up from the beginning the redheaded blonde guy Mm -hmm. who created it in the first place the reasons that aaron goes back 
in time are a little less clear to me. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing that involves the party scene and him saving everybody from the boyfriend with the shotgun. Mm-hmm. I get the impression that he's the one that's using this more recklessly than than Abe would. Right. Abe seems to like want to try and get away from the whole time travel process of things. But Aaron really seems to want to lean into taking advantage of it. But how that translates into him basically like double crossing Abe for some reason, I'm still not really sure. Like why are Aaron and Abe even mad at each other by the end of this movie? I'm not sure. I mean, the base level answer, like at the very least, they're mad at each other. Aaron mad at Abe because he had a fail safe box and didn't tell him. Okay. It makes sense. And Abe mad at Aaron for finding the self the failsafe box, going back multiple times, pretend, you know, kidnapping his self, pretending to be himself, mm-hmm. and lying to Abe the entire time. Almost every scene we see in the movie, uh, I believe, is of Aaron pretending to be the current a different version of himself. Yeah, the current yeah. version of himself. But it's actually a, right. a future, a future version of Aaron that is impersonating that version. Yeah, but it, it, this part is the confusing part. It's not clear to me why Aaron is going back. The confusing part. <laughs> the confusing, yeah. aka the whole movie. I mean, this part <laughs> in particular is just like I cannot get through it. What part? Why does he care so much about going back in time, recreating the party scene? exactly right to save the girlfriend because that's kind of the way they motivate that part of the movie yeah i'm not really sure because from what i could understand that the thing that happened with the shot the shotgun was that or the party is that someone's ex shows up at this party with a shotgun and you know he's threatening people and maybe in one version of like the timeline someone got hurt and so they go back several times to try and course correct that whole moment and like prevent people from getting hurt. But as far as I can tell, like they do it successfully, but like they're not satisfied with the outcome of how they did it. And so they keep trying or they, they, the reason they keep doing it is because they keep failing. I don't really know. It's just really not clear. Like the, what you said is something that I thought might've been the case that, the very first time this happened, somebody did get hurt. Uh-huh. And that's all the motivation that, like, Aaron needed to use the fail-safe box to go back and try to stop it. Uh-huh. The first time we were watching this movie and we're introduced to this um, incident that happens at the party, we find out that Aaron had stopped the incident, right? Right. The, fir- the very first time we talk about that, that incident, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, like, an internal theory that I have is that it's because he had already gone back and stopped, you know, the murder Mm -hmm. or whatever happened. And this connects nicely back to the father, uh, Granger, because it could be that if his daughter was killed, that they would have had brought him into the time travel. And then somehow he ended up using it and going back in time. Mm. Like, the, the death of his daughter would be something intense enough to warrant that we should really quickly say that like the whole ex showing up at the party is like abe's girlfriend's ex-boyfriend who shows up right 
Abe's, yeah, Abe's girlfriend's ex. Mm-hmm. But later on, there's a conversation between presumably the most knowledgeable versions of the characters where they try to explain that they need to not only stop the incident with a shotgun, but also do it in a way where the guy gets arrested and put away. Okay. I wasn't Which just seemed like the most flimsy. That that just didn't sit well with me. Like that yeah. seemed not justifiable like use of time travel to put not justifiable to put like that much more effort into it to save a life maybe Mm -hmm. but to simply go a little bit above that and getting the guy arrested Mm -hmm. that's a Mm no-go that seems like if that's true and from what i think i understand about the movie that seems like the weakest plot device right and so and that's as far as i get with the movie like Mm -hmm. that's my full analysis of what happened (laughs) Really, it's impossible to have any sort of meaningful opinion on this movie because of how ununderstandable it is. Yeah. And then I guess there's that. And that, and maybe just explain like the whole thing about the narrator. So the, that... the narrator, I believe, is like the, like the longest running version of Aaron that's been doing time travel, right? Actually, I think it might be the second to longest one. Who's the longest one? The longest one is the one... Um, and we actually like see him. He's the one that's redoing the incident of okay. the so, party. Because importantly, when the longest living version of Aaron comes back, he tries to overpower the less knowledgeable version of himself. Uh-huh. Fails. Mm-hmm. And then but they talk it out anyways, and the most knowledgeable version says that just let me stay here and do this for you. Mm-hmm. You go away. Uh-huh. Yeah, which is why the narrator talks about some of the events from a like a detached perspective. Like he's not the one that actually did all that things. Right. And he's the one that we see at the end, right? Yes. The narrator in France. Right. And he this is kind of a good segue I guess into the very end of the movie. You know, we've gone through all of this uh looping nonsense with both Abe and Aaron, but there is still like another rogue Aaron running around out there and he made his way to france he's the narrator and the movie ends with him seeming to instruct other people to build a much larger version of the box that was my impression anyways right to build like the same box but like way bigger which you know it makes a cool little like final stamp on the movie where they're like we're just making a larger one like dun 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 like to be continued kind of thing primer to right but what i don't understand is how the size of the box means anything significant to how time travel functions in this movie i don't know either uh, aside from like the comfort thing like you have to be in this box yeah for a very long time to time travel and so if it was the size of a room uh-huh. like that's that's an obvious thing to do you can uh-huh. flex you can stretch a little bit maybe pass the time in a more productive manner right but that's not like a strong like this this is how we're ending the movie kind of moment right it's like i just want to i want to make my time travel more like cush like <laughs> no He's like, imagine this. What am I trying to do like like a pitch like like for a hotel chain? It's like <laughs> five star hotel, rooms the size of your house, uh-huh. plush everywhere. Now yeah. I think the more the the thing that I was supposed to communicate is maybe not so much the the size, but just the fact that he was still pursuing 
yeah time travel machines because the the other versions of of abe and aaron had put in some effort by the end of the movie to stop the timeline Mm -hmm. basically to stop the movie from happening any of the bad stuff that happened and so then that's that i guess there's two (laughs) versions of and that's that there's two knowledgeable errands at the end right like one of them is the one in france and the the other one is i guess we don't know what it's doing right which which one are you referring to because there's like three errands at the end there's like by the end of the movie there is three errands with with no chance of one of them being like taken away or anything they're like three permanent errands uh-huh the one that's ignorant of any of the events in the movie uh-huh is uh, he the one who was captured yeah he was the one who's got so he's put in the attic he's just having like the worst time he like doesn't know about time travel and he's like being kidnapped by himself for inexplicable reasons right right it's just like as as confused as everyone in the audience <laughs> yeah so he's the one that gets the phone call from the other version of Aaron. The narration of the movie, right? Yeah, the narration Aaron. Mm-hmm. But then there still should be another one left over. I'm not sure what he did. Yeah, me neither. Well, if you really like being completely baffled by a movie watching experience, this is the movie for you. I can honestly say, like, you know, I've seen, like, tough to follow movies in the past. You know, everybody's seen movies they don't quite understand i feel like this one takes the cake in that genre completely it it almost seems like intentionally confusing at parts for certainly has to be for all the reasons that we described where yeah it's like time travel and like a very imaginative version of time travel so that has its own complications as as far as like understanding it but beyond that just like the way the movie is shot structured and edited makes it no no easier to make sense of all of that stuff it actually makes it more difficult on purpose yeah. seemingly that's a good point i mean the time traveling stuff is very convoluted in itself but it also just doesn't give you a lot mm-hmm. to work with to figure out those aspects mm-hmm. so it's equal contribution from like it's inherently confusing the concept of the movie mm-hmm. but it's also edited and shot in a way to throw you off right because as evidenced by other like videos that we mentioned earlier that like there is a way to accurately more helpfully portray like what's happening on screen and it's not like the filmmaker was only locked into telling this story exactly this way like there were other ways to do it he just chose not to part of that is just like the the realism of it would be hurt if you would try to tell it in a way that was more palatable mm-hmm. palatable palatable palettes the we the weeble comes in at the a and then the palette comes out at the b and then you bring it back down and then it coasts weasel sneezels <laughs> what would you give it for a rating i would give this movie weeble is the obvious unit so i'm not choosing that you can use it if you want, but now I've okay. now I've set you up for an easy out, so you got to pick something different. I got a good one. I'm gonna give this a ten. Now I'm the one struggling. Ten confusions out of ten. <laughs> ten confusions. I'm gonna give this ten '90s earpieces out of out of ten. Nice. Yeah. I I'm also gonna give it a ten out of ten. Okay. 
in particular 10 ready for this 10 primers out of ah, 10. shut up <laughs> fuck name you fuck you that's what i have to say to that <laughs> yeah but no dude uh, perfect movie for me mm-hmm. like for what it is absolutely action-packed tight 70 minute thing yep mm-hmm. would recommend to anyone Okay, let's pick a let's pick the movie for next week. Really quick, some feedback from our editor is she wants in the next within the next two episodes she wants to see another uh, either female led or female directed movie. Okay, I think Juno's a good one on the list. That's like female led. Yeah, who directed Juno? Both both directed and starred. Jason Reitman is the director. Written by written by a woman. Have you seen Juno before? Yeah. I haven't. Oh, cool, cool. Thanks for listening this week. Our music is by Double U. Look them up at at Double U on Instagram. That's underscore the word double and two U's. Editing this week is neither done by myself uh, nor Raul because we're bad at it. And it was done by Grace Fawcett. Who was good at it. Connect with us at, at Pod on Twitter and Instagram. Give us a good rating. Thanks again. We'll see you next week. Special thanks to Shane Carruth for not pulling any science punches. Special thanks to Kartik again for getting the word out. Do you remember how to do the rock chalk chant? Nonstop rock chalk with your cock out. Cock block chalk mock rock.